about an hour. We will have first pitch at the Rogers Center. Alec Manoa on the mound for the Blue Jays. Garrett Whitlock on the mound for the Boston Red Sox. It is Blair and Barker, the pregame show edition on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The lineups are in for both teams. Kevin, we'll, uh, we'll talk about the pitching matchup in a minute because it should be a good one. We'll also be joined by Rob Bradford of WEEI in Boston. As I said, the lineups are in. There are some notable absences for the Blue Jays. Vladdy Jr. is not in the lineup today. You'll remember last night he fouled the ball off his foot. X-rays were negative, uh, but according to Charlie Montoyo, the Blue Jays manager, Guerrero is, quote, really sore. Um, he finished out the game, so uh, there's a chance, one would presume, that he is available to pinch hit today. But in his absence, this is the Blue Jays lineup. George Springer's leading off in DHing. Bo Bichette is at short. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in left. Rymel Tapia gets a start in right field, and he's in the cleanup spot. Hmm. Matt Chapman's at third. Barker's snickering. Alejandro Kirk is behind the plate. Santiago Espinal is at second. Gosuke Cato is at first base. Bradley Zimmer's in center. I mentioned Alec Manoa's on the mound. Good news. Good news if you're a Blue Jays fan. Xander Bogarts has been given the day off. Why is that good news? He's just worn out the Blue Jays this year. Through six games, he's hitting 520 with a 1.179 OPS. 16 total bases in six games. That's not bad. He's been given the day off. The Red Sox lineup is as follows. Story, Verdugo, Devers, Hernandez, Jackie Bradley Jr., Christian Arroyo, Bobby Dahlbeck gets a start at first base. Travis Shaw draws in as the DH. Christian Vasquez is behind the plate. And as we mentioned, Garrett Whitlock makes his second career start for the Red Sox. Kevin Barker alongside me. A uh, lot to talk about, obviously, Kevin. But first, let's 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 focus on the pitching matchup. Alec Manoa has been a stud this year. Garrett Whitlock, he is going to be torturing American League East teams for the next decade. Get used to it. But you noticed one thing when we were looking at the pitching matchup that may suggest why Alex Cora, the Red Sox managers, tossed as many left-handed hitters as he has in here. Yeah, well, you look at Alec Manoa's season. It's been a tremendous season. You can't argue anything he's done. But if you look at what he's done against left-handed hitters, they're hitting 360 off him. He's given up 12 hits on the season. Nine of those have come off a left-handed hitter. And that would tell you exactly why he's ran out four left-handed hitters, meaning Alex Cora, uh, to try and give him a little something else to think about. You know, whenever Alec Manoa is really good, it's the sinker, uh, it's the slider, it's the elevated four-seamer, and it's the sprinkle of the changeup. Maybe just throwing that many lefties in there, maybe it's the command of the of the slider, where he starts it against the lefty, where he wants it to end up. You know, against lefties, I don't think he wants it so much as the back foot pitch right where it's going from a a two to seven range he more wants that thing to to run or have a little bit more cut action and sometimes occasionally maybe he'll he'll aim that a little bit against the left-handed hitter and they've gotten the head out and they've gotten some some big hits against him with that so he's gonna have to mix up his pitches a little bit more he's gonna have to attack the zone pitch ahead if he can throw strike one with his slider or his change up against the lefty that for me will eliminate some of the lefties in that lineup Devers free swing 
player. You can get him to chase uh, with two strikes. You don't always have to throw him a strike. You can make it look like a strike to the end because he's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start. Travis Shaw doesn't scare you any, right? You can get him out with elevated hard stuff. You just have to pitch ahead. He does that with a secondary pitch. It'll be okay today with, with even the four lefties that are in the lineup. Yeah, to me, the guy to watch in this lineup is Alex Verdugo. Again, small sample size with Alec Manoa, but he is the type of hitter that can give Alec Manoa trouble. Yeah, he goes. Yeah, Alec Manoa occasionally will try and go back door with the slider. Uh, Verdugo's pretty good about waiting. He's a back leg guy. Sometimes you see him, he'll hit balls on his backside, which creates that little off to left field. He's using that Fenway porch, small porch in left field to his advantage. And, you know, that, that sometimes is where he's given up hits to Verdugo. But, again, Alec Manoa makes a quality pitch. He attacks the zone a little elevated against left-handed hitters. He'd be fine. It's just, you know, the last couple starts, the sinker, for whatever reason, he hasn't really found the the good command, the good release point, uh, the good landing spot. You know, sometimes he'll spin off it, and he'll miss up and away. He falls behind. He just hasn't found that one lane to get it in there to a righty or to a lefty because he still likes to throw it to a lefty. He'll elevate more four-seamers to a lefty and throw you know, occasional change up to him, but it, his bread and butter is the sinker slider mix. And if he can command a little bit of that off the plate, get ahead, and then elevate with the four seamer, he'll be fine. Yeah, as always with an Alec Manoa start, you've got to watch the amount of times he spins off. You've got to watch how much time he spends fixing the mound because he is a guy. He is big man. Big man needs a good landing spot, right? And he, you can tell when he's doing a lot of gardening. Uh, you can tell the type of day it is for him. Watch his glove hand, too. Sometimes he gets the alligator arm, and he'll yank that thing a little quicker and harder towards the first base side. That's when he's not finishing his pitches, getting them out front, and having that good release point where he's pronating real good with either the changeup or you know, the way he wants to grip the sinker and have that thing moving. Where it starts, he wants it to bound off the plate with some some late movement and with some power. So, yeah, it's a couple of things mechanically. I'm sure he's worked on with Petey trying to figure out how to, to get good extension and to repeat his delivery over and over and over again. And uh, he's going to attack. He's not going to nibble. He does that. He'll be fine. Now, on the other side, with Whitlock, if uh, you notice his stats, and the one th- thing that when you look through him and you watch video of him, which I was watching before we came on the show here, uh, you see the one stat that stands out to you. He's faced 25 right-handed batters, Jeff. He's given up one hit. Oh, I know. He's filthy. <laughs> like like I say, he's, sink- he's a guy. He is a guy that it, he is a guy that is going to be torturing American League East teams for the next decade. His, his, he and Tanner Houck. I mean, I know we focus on Uvalde, <clears throat> you know, obviously with the Red Sox and Chris Sale when he comes back. But I look at those two guys, Kevin. If they get if they get Garrett Whitlock into the rotation on a regular basis, and that may be more of a next year thing. But when that happens, those two those two guys, Houck and uh, and Whitlock, it's like found money for the Red Sox. It really is. Sure is. Well, he's only given up five hits on the season. Yeah, <laughs> he's given up one hit to a right-handed batter. The, the, we talked about this last night on, on Jay's talk. The big big daddy hacks that a lot of these Jay's hitters are taking early in the season, when you face a guy like this who can command two elite pitchers, he has an elite sinker and an elite slider, and he will sprinkle in a changeup against a left-handed hitter, and I say sprinkle when I really mean a sprinkle. It is, I'm showing it to you, but I'm going to get you out with my best two pitches. I don't care if you're left-handed or not. If i got a good slider, I'm going to use it a ton. And I, For me, you got to shorten up. you you got to try and play pepper with the baseball. you got to use the big part of the field, whether that's middle the other way, whether that's pull 
in the big part of the field. I don't care which one of those you're thinking about when you're going up there to hit, but you got to stay in the big part of the field. If you don't and you start taking these big hacks and your barrel is in and out of the zone real quick, he's going to eat you up with the sinker and he's going to eat you up with the slider. And we noticed early in the season to a bunch of these right-handed hitters with the Blue Jays, they're doing a lot of pulling off of the slider. The one that starts as a strike ends up with the ball and you see some non-competitive at-bats. Those got to be, get, be, be getting better. And if they can do that and shorten up a little bit and think of the big part of the field, I think they'll have some quality at bats against him. Reminder that we will be giving away a pair of Blue Jays tickets later on in the show, a pair of tickets to the Monday, May 2nd game. So that'll come in the uh, in the second half of the show just before Ben Wagner joins us from the ballpark. Let's talk about the Blue Jays lineup. We mentioned no Vladdy Jr. Kevin, I mean, I'm sure you've... I'm sure you fouled the ball off your foot like Vladdy did. No, Vladdy did finish the at-bat, beat out a throw to first base and a fielder's choice, finished the game. But you were telling me, I, I, I asked you how to describe that feeling, and you said, well, it's like having someone take a hammer and bring it down in your foot hard. That's it, pretty much what that is. It really hurts. I, well, I, I had a, a bit of a long swing when I was a player, and I was out and around quite a bit of times. And whenever you get that breaking ball or one of those sinkers that's boring in on your hand and you're out and around it and you tend to foul the ball off of either one of your feet. I fouled a ball one time off the, uh, the inside of my back knee. Still don't know how I did that. I sit around and think about that and laugh occasionally because it's almost impossible to do, but I did it. And I could feel his pain with – the ball coming off the foot like that, it's just not protected. You know, you put taking some weight off of that, so sort of that foot's a little bit in the air, and it's sort of mm-hmm. just kind of dangling there when the ball comes off of it. And, you know, there's just really nothing you can do about it. It's it's one of those things where it's going to take time. Hopefully it's just that. It's sore. I know he's had some x-rays, and those came out negative, which is a great thing. I, well, I did it one time and, and had some x-rays that looked like spider web. But you know, whenever you, whenever a rock hits your steering or your window, and mm-hmm. it looks like a spider web when it when it hits it and it sort of cracks your windshield, and that's what the top of my foot looked like, and and I duct taped it up and had to deal with that for an entire season. I did that like in April in Buffalo when it was super cold and in the AAA, and I had to deal with it an entire season because I was trying to make it to the big league. So I understand what Vladdy's going through. It is his back leg, it is his back foot, which is where he puts all of his weight, uh, you know, everything is rotated off off his back foot. So this might take a couple of days for him to get over. uh, And, you know, some other guys are going to have to step up because of it. Tapia is hitting cleanup, Jeff, for the for the Toronto Blue Jays on a on a three o'clock game against the the Boston Red Sox. Go figure. Yeah. Talk about things that uh, we never thought we'd be seeing this year I mean I guess you know looking at who's available and who isn't available for the Blue Jays my response is I mean why not <laughs> you know why not put a lefty who's going to get to, who, who you know is going to cover the plate and is going to make contact why not do that I mean have at it against Garrett Whitlock that's that's the way I would look at it uh, Rob Bradford is a Red Sox reporter for WEEI in Boston <clears throat> pardon me and he joins us on Blair and Barker the pregame edition Rob thanks for doing this great to talk to you as always Look, I, I knew Xander Bogarts was a pretty good player. I knew he was having a pretty good year this year. I'm reading your story right now, and I just got to throw some numbers out there. I mean, his batting average is tops in the American League. It's 397. That's impressive, obviously. But his batting average in balls and play is 509. His 53, or his hard hit rate is 53.6. He's already seen 20 shifts. That's how many shifts he saw in the entire 
2021 season, and I would write that off to the fact that he's faced the Jays for six games, and they appear to be shifting against everybody. He's got seven three-hit games. And when he's hitting, uh, what is the number I had against the Jays? He's hitting a, a tidy 520 against the Jays so far. Uh, first of all, is this? I, I presume this is just a day off for him. And secondly, Rob, I'm going to ask you the question that you dealt with uh, in your story today. How is this guy not under a six- or seven-year contract right now? Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to hear from you guys. Always good to be introduced with some gruesome foot talk. I appreciate that. So that, was, that was excellent to listen to. Um, yeah, the spider web was great visual, wasn't it? Oh, man, that was the first thing I heard. It was great. Um, but, you know, this, this is just a day off for Xander. And, um, and to go back to the beaten potatoes of the Bogarts conversation, which has been going on for a few weeks now, you know, you, the Red Sox came in reportedly with an offer. Now, he has an opt-out after this year. He makes $20 million a year. He has uh, uh, three more years left. And obviously, he doesn't want to play under $20 million a year. As he said, the things have changed since he signed that deal. He's become better. He's become older. Shortstops are getting paid more. So he, we all knew that he wanted a new deal and that he was going to opt out if he had any semblance of a good year. Um, and the Red Sox reportedly said, oh, yeah, okay, we'll throw in an extra year at $30 million, but we're not extending it to, like you said, like a seven-year thing. Now, a lot of people are like, this is John Lester all over again. You're low-balling the guy. And of course he's not going to take it, and, and he's going to walk. And, and it's uncomfortable. Like, the guy wants to stay here with the Red Sox. People want him to stay here. He's obviously one of the best offensive shortstops in the game. I think he's he's good enough defensively, shortstop for left at least another three years. But the Red Sox look at it a different way, and if he keeps going the way he's going right now, he's going to get paid, and it's going to be paid by a different team. Rob, how what if Trevor Story say? I've watched Trevor Story a couple of times now that he's been playing second base. I got to be honest with you, the arm strength, uh, the accuracy of the arm would scare me. And if Bogarts leaves and he has to scoot over to shortstop, that would for me anyway be an issue if you're the front office and you're somebody writing checks do you think that would come into play and would change your mind about the bogarts contract i mean i think it's a good question kevin i think it should and now i there's no way around it i mean they got part of the the trevor story deal is leverage for bogarts there's no there's no question about it now i think looking at trevor story playing second there's a second baseman I love that dynamic right now of Bogarts at short and Trevor Story at second. But, you know, going forward, what they might just see is, hey, we can move over Trevor Story at, at short. He'll be good enough. and We won't worry about his arm. And, and their top prospect right now is this kid, Marcelo Meyer, who was drafted fourth overall last year. And maybe by 2025, he'll be ready to go. But, you know, there's a lot of ifs in that. And certainly, like, with Bogarts, you know what you have. And it's not only with Bogarts. It's not only about the production. It's also about what he represents. And he's a foundation guy. And a foundation guy in the clubhouse, a foundation guy on the field. And right now, they're just not valuing that, like, really, like other regimes might have. Yeah, my concern as well would be if, if, if baseball brings in rules that eliminate or restrict the shift, it's going to be a lot harder to hide a, a, a poor defensive arm in the infield. A lot harder than it is now, anyhow. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you look at the two guys, and, you know, just body type alone, I think, okay, you know, I know that Bogart's range isn't out, 
uh, out of this world. But still, I look at this is a guy who's a big, strong guy. We saw it last night. He had a backhand play, missing a little bit, but had enough arm on it to get, get the out at first. You know, story to me, I love story at second base. I love that dynamic. And ownership will say, yeah, we want Devers and Bogarts and Story for here a long time. Yeah, no kidding you want them there for a long time. But are you willing to pay them? That dynamic right now is a great dynamic. Uh, and it would just be great, I think, if the Red Sox found a way to actually keep them all in those places. Rob, explain to me why Garrett Whitlock is so tough on right-handed hitters. Oh, man, he's tough on everybody, man. He's he's unbelievable. And I'm not – you know, like, I, this kid is – it's it's just one of the, the the most amazing stories because, number one, you know, rule five. It's like it's – you just don't get these guys in rule five. They hit a perfect storm. And the character, the makeup, the evolution, everything about it. But then you have – this is a guy who – has three pitches who you can literally say are their elite pitches. Now, most starters, you can say, well, you know, they have their elite pitches are one or maybe two. This guy, a changeup, a slider, a fastball. The fastball jumps up, you know, like we've seen some of the great ones. I always go back to Papelbon in his prime, that little jump at the end. That's the type of fastball he has. Slider, he didn't start throwing until last year, but boom, it became one of the best in the American League. And the changeup, which he just picked up, from Matt Andrees last spring training has become one of the best ones in the American League as well. He works quick. He commands his own. He's just really, really dominant. Where do you, where do you think they want him to be all year? Is it as a starter, a spot starter, or one of those hybrid guys out of the bullpen where he can come in from the fifth inning on, he can pitch the ninth inning? Where do you think they they would love to have him the entire season? Well, I, I think it's one of these things where I would love to answer that question. I would love to see him as a starter because I, I just think he can be a dominant starter. But the way they look at it is they want to get the most out of him, the most opportunities, the most high leverage opportunities. So I don't think you can answer that question right now. I think they, they still want to move him around. I looked at it almost like a basketball player where you're saying, okay, you know, let's find the guy who we can have the isolation against. And then we're going to run an isolation. We're going to find the, the part in the game where we can expose the other team the best with our best weapon, and that's Garrett Whitlock. And that's what they're doing, really. I mean, whether it's, you know, a four-inning relief outing, whether it's starting because you don't have a Tanner Houck in there, whether it's closing out a game with a couple innings, that's how they're managing this right now. But all I know is this, is that when I say he's their best weapon, it's not even close. He is absolutely their best weapon um, and, again, for me, I would love to see him just roll out there, start seven innings, but we know that's not how baseball works anymore. What is uh, what is going to happen to Tanner Houck now? I mean, he did, couldn't make the trip, obviously, because of the COVID restrictions. I thought he was – he would – I, I thought he would just make his next start. Is he is he just going to start tomorrow, or is he starting the next game, or how are they going to manage that? Uh, I, my guess is he'll start tomorrow. Okay. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking. But it's, you know, he's another guy in a perfect world. You know, I think this is their perfect world was actually having Chris Sale as a starter to begin the year and having Tanner Houck be the guy, much like Whitlock followed up Hill. Tanner Houck was the guy who would follow up Sale. I think uh, if, okay. if you could find, if you could find starting pitching, like a, a locked solid, you know, Sale comes back, Paxton comes back, Evaldi, Pavetta, 
if you can find uh, Nwaka, you can find those guys. If you have Whitlock and Hauk in the bullpen as as two to three inning weapons, now you're on the trolley. Now you got something going, but that's a big if because they're going to fix some things in the process. Rob, what do they do with the the first base situation? Well, I mean, I think they ride out Bobby Dahlback as long as they can. He obviously got off to a, a tough start last year, same sort of deal. They thought he sort of take, turned a corner. Last year when Schwarber came on, he really, really was hot in the last couple of months. Now, that's one of the things about this team I think is going on the radar. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, you know, he, he was obviously very good for the Red Sox, but he was also a really good presence for Dahlback, for the entire lineup, setting the tone in terms of the approach. And not having him around, the approach has gone all haywire once again. But going forward, they'll ride out Dahlback as long as they can. They got this kid Tristan Cassis sitting in the minor league, Triple A. I think if it's still going this route when you get to June, then you'll probably see Cassis called up, and then a whole new era might begin. Rob, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rob. All right, guys, stay safe. I'll talk to you. Absolutely. That is Rob Bradford of WEEI.com. So there you go. Tanner Houck, who was supposed to start today, just to get you caught up in that. Tanner Houck, who was supposed to start today, could not cross the border because of COVID-19 border restrictions. He is unvaccinated. And uh, as a result, he and Cutter Crawford both couldn't cross the border. Um, This would have been his start. Theoretically, at least, it would have been his start. And as we've talked about on this show and on Blue Jays' talk over the course of this series... Had he been available to make the start, Garrett Whitlock would have been a high leverage option for Alex Cora late in the game. And they've had a couple of close games. And you got to think, Kevin, that Garrett Whitlock might have might have been able to make a difference in one of those games. If you've got Garrett Whitlock out there as opposed to Hansel Robles um, uh, or, or Matt Barnes, I mean, you would, you would really like your chances with Garrett Whitlock. But that is, he, he's an intriguing arm. Uh, he's a Rule Five guy. You heard Rob talk about that. That I, I wanted to ask you, Kev. How difficult is that? Now I know you weren't a pitcher, but when you hear Rob say that this kid has effectively picked up two new pitches in a in two years, right? The slider and uh, what was the other the other pitch? He picked up a slider and and another pitch. So he's picked up two pitches in two years. What does that tell you? When a guy is capable of doing that, not just picking it up and fiddling around with it, but using it to compete in games. I have to tell you, he's a very intelligent kid. Uh, he's very uh, well-rounded when it comes to his mechanics. I saw he's a slider. You know what a slider guy is on the mound? Whenever he's in his windup, he starts in one place, and then he slides over to one side or the other on the rubber. He's a slide mm. guy to the first base side. So if you're hitting off of him and you're watching him start in the middle of the rubber, and then he's sliding over when he's going to his leg kick, to the first base side of the rubber. Now that changes your eye level. Now he's getting in his lane a little bit differently, and that you know makes it a little tougher for that hitter to pick up which way the ball's moving, which where it starts, which which pitch it is. Right? Is it a slider? Is it a sinker? Is it a changeup? So he's got a little deception when it comes to sliding a little bit on the mound. Uh, yeah, he's he's the location of the sinker, the the tunneling of the slider. I was noticing when I was watching a vi- a couple of videos of him before I came on the show here, just to to see if I was standing in the box, what would I do against him? That's a tough call. That'd be a tough game plan. I I know I wouldn't p- take big giant hacks off him. That's the one thing I do know because a guy that can can command command means he can hit outer parts of the plate. He's not going to 
throw it down the middle. He's going to go to the bottom part of the plate. He'll go to the outside part of the plate. He'll go in. He'll start that sinker in to a lefty and have it hip a guy where he's throwing his hands up. He'll tunnel the slider down. Looks exactly like the sinker. So they're going to have to have some quality at best. They're going to have to think big part of the field. They're going to have to shorten up a little bit and try and take what he gives them. You know, it's probably not going to – they're not going to string together four or five hits off this guy. It's going to take a bloop and a bomb. For me anyway, you know, hopefully he'll hang a slider or he'll do something bad, and they're going to have to have better approaches than they've had in the past games. Ben Wagner is the radio voice of the Blue Jays. He is at the Rogers Center. We will take a deeper dive into the Blue Jays lineup, and we'll talk a little bit about the Blue Jays' issues with runners in scoring position. This team's got a good record right now. They could take three of four from the Red Sox with a win today. They're four and two against the Red Sox, 12 and seven in the season. But the fact of the matter is with runners in scoring position, and I understand that can be sometimes a flawed stat. The fact of the matter is with runners in scoring position right now, they are among the worst in the major leagues. They were they're 28th or 29th in the major leagues, and they, they were certainly 28th going into yesterday's game. And I've got to think that 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position didn't help them. Now, again, no Teoscar Hernandez. That might explain part of that. But how much of it does it explain? Ben Wagner joins us next. It's Blair and Barker, the pregame edition on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 3.07 will be the time of the first pitch this afternoon from the Rogers Center. The Jays and the Boston Red Sox wrapping up their four-game series. Jays looking to win their third game of the series. Alec Manoa takes the hill for them. Garrett Whitlock for the Boston Red Sox in a battle a battle of uh, really, really, really good young starting pitchers. This should be a uh, this should be a good game to be at if you're on your way down. There should be a lot of fun. The Houston Astros will follow the Red Sox in town for a three game series, and then next week the New York Yankees come here. And speaking of the Yankees, we on Blair and Barker are giving you the chance all season long to win Blue Jays tickets. And we've got a pair of tickets right here for the May 2nd game against the New York Yankees. Now, all you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 59590. And you can do this whether you're listening live, whether you're watching on TV, and we will be back on 360 on Monday, or or whether you're, you are subscribing to the show through a podcast. Again, text 59590 with the correct answer. You could be going to see the Jays and Yankees on May 2nd. Yesterday, we asked you which Astros player has played the most games in franchise history. The answer was Craig Biggio. Not a surprise. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that I wouldn't have got the Astros strikeout leader, Kevin being Garrett Cole. I just assumed it would be Nolan. Anyhow. Uh, today's question to win tickets to see the Jays and Yankees at the Rogers Center. This pitcher started his career with the Jays and went on to pitch a perfect game with the Yankees. Again, this pitcher started his career with the Jays and then went on to pitch a perfect game with the Yankees. Text us to 595-90 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca. Slash 590. Again, that is for a pair of tickets 
to see the Jays and Yankees on Monday at the Rogers Center. The lineups for today's game are in. We mentioned no Xander Bogarts for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yes, you can exhale. Or I should say no Xander Bogarts for the Boston Red Sox. You can exhale, considering the damage he's done against the Jays this year. He's had seven three-hit games so far this year, hitting 520 against the Jays. Just sick. And um, for the Blue Jays, the big story is the absence of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from the lineup. Now, if you remember last night, he fouled the ball off his back foot. He did stay in the game, legged out a fielder's choice to first base, finished the game as well, had x-rays after the game, and the x-rays were negative. Nonetheless, he is not in the lineup today. Let's bring in Ben Wagner. Ah, we don't have Ben Wagner, so we can't bring him in yet. What are you doing, Barker? Why are you motioning like that? Uh, when Ben joins us, we will ask him because he had a chance to talk to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Rymel Tapia in the cleanup spot, Kevin. I, well, you said it earlier. Uh, I'm sort of with you. You know, no, nobody's really hitting with runners in scoring position. You got a got a guy that's got some plate coverage. He's got a level swing. Maybe you try that. You know, they're they're sort of searching after the third hitter to figure out a a good combination of guys that can go up and give you a quality at bat, and you know, I think this is you're trying to to get as much, uh, you know, lefty righty lefty righty matchup towards the end of your lineup as you can because you're facing Whitlock and hopefully he leaves a sinker in the middle of the plate and a guy can stay in the big part of the field and and maybe barrel up some baseballs. It's not idea for your team to have Ryan Mel Tapia hit and clean up for you, but when you have to, you have to, and this is what they have to do. A reminder that uh, Kevin Barker and myself will be along immediately following the game for Blue Jays Talk. You can call us up, 416-870-0590, star 591-888-666-0590. And uh, we will take you right up to our Raptors pregame show. The Raptors looking to extend their playoff series against the Philadelphia 76ers tonight. As we mentioned, Vladdy Jr. is not in the lineup. Ghostke Kato is in the lineup at first base, Kevin, and we threw this out on Blue Jays talk last night. And we got a little bit of reaction on social media to it. Look, we all know the story of Ghostke Kato, and we all know that you can't always buy into early season results, right? Two things you never want to do is put too much emphasis on the stats you see in spring training, too much emphasis you see in September uh, on things you see in September. But I've got to say this, and I said this last night, and I know you're in agreement with me. I look at Ghostke Kato, I look at Kevin Biggio, and right now, I think Ghostke Kato gives me more of what I need than Kevin Biggio does. You're on the same page, aren't you? I, I am. I'm, I'm just not sure exactly what that need is, what what they expect from that 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th guy on your roster, exactly what they want from them. Kevin Biggio, for me, when I need contact, healthy, I need handiness. Spring training. I need contact. I need, I, yeah, I need, I I need somebody who can do something for me. I don't need somebody who can come up and swing a left-handed bat and strike out or or, or get called out in strikes. I, I just don't. That's fair. 
that's fair. You need to Kevin Bisho to show up in spring training and, and show you that he had made some adjustments offensively, standing a little taller at the plate, ending his swing, through his swing, be a little taller. He is a bend at the waist guy. He is a launch angle guy. And when you have a natural uppercut because you're born left-handed and you add the bent upper half to your to your swing, you're going to miss a lot of balls that you shouldn't be missing. And he just, for whatever reason, you know, I, I know he'd, he had eliminated the leg kick. Now he's got the little toe tap. He's trying to shorten his lower half up and be a little quicker and try and be shorter to the baseball. But he still does have a big, giant uppercut in his swing. And for that, I'm with you. It's it's just one of those things where you need those guys at the end of your roster to be able to sit over there a day, a day and a half, two days, and you don't even know they sat over there for a day, a day and a half or two days. They come off the bench, they look exactly like they would look if they were playing every day. And right now, I'm with you. I think Gosuke Kato can give you a little bit more of that. He can play positions that – you know, Kevin, he can play third base. Kevin Biggio right now can't for me. He can play first base. I guess Kevin can do that. Kevin can play a little bit of right field. He's not going to hurt you. He can play a little bit of second. But the offensive side of it, the bunning, the hit and running, uh, those things, I'm with you on that side of it. And, you know, these these are guys at the end of the, at the end of your road, at your, uh, of your, team that you really need to step up and do the little things and I think right now you're to your point Kato could do the little things a little bit better than Kevin can now we have Ben Wagner the radio voice of the Blue Jays hello Mr. Wagner good afternoon gentlemen so I understand that you had a tete-a-tete with Vladdy Guerrero Jr. tell us uh, tell us what the latest news is on Mr. Guerrero yeah I actually was in the clubhouse when Vladdy got there, and we had a little conversation earlier today. And remember, he fouled the ball right off the top of his foot yesterday. And what we saw in the game was not like his usual reaction. He stays upright. He hobbles it off, kind of fights it off. Kevin's probably done this a thousand times in his playing career. Uh, Vladdy just absolutely crumpled. Uh, and that, that obviously raised a lot of concern. Last night, they took x-rays. They came back negative. The Blue Jays are calling it a contusion. I asked Vlad, hey, how's it doing today? And he said, so-so, and it's best if he could get the day off and just stay off the foot and let it rest. It did have a little bit of puffiness to it. The, the, the spot where the ball went down was like literally right on top of the foot, and I could tell that because there was a little discoloration. So it's hurting him today. It's barking, and the, the feel that I got in the clubhouse this morning is they're going to try to keep Vladimir Guerrero Jr. off the foot altogether today, and they hope it's only today. Hey Ben, have you seen? Have you noticed any different approach offensively from certain guys? Gonna be honest with you, Bo. Yesterday, I thought his finish to his swing was a little better. Normally, we see yeah, he's always going to take the big daddy hack. But yesterday, I thought you started to see a little bit cleaner finish. Wasn't falling across the plate as much. Now he's got that maybe taken care of. Now it's about just getting a little bit better pitch to hit. Are you seeing, you know, one through nine having some better approaches at the plate? It's a little bit better of an approach one through nine. You know, now this one through nine changes a lot, right? With Bradley yep. Zimmer coming in, Rymel Tapia coming in, Gosuke Kato coming in, coming out. It's not a set one through nine, but we're seeing a little bit better of approach timing coming down to. Uh, for Bo specifically, I chatted with him in the clubhouse two days ago, and you could sense that Bo was starting to feel better. Not necessarily just because of the grand slam that he crushed on Monday. So that was one thing that, you know, don't just jump on that because Bo hit a grand slam. All of a sudden, you know, he's feeling great at the plate. 
Uh, but he wanted to get back in the cage, do the live BP with John Schneider, and really let it rip. He goes, I need to feel exactly what you just said with the finish. I want to get in there and air it out, go through all of my swing, whether it's a home run contact, because I hadn't hit one since the second day of the regular season. I want to feel that confidence again. I want to feel what the ball feels like jumping off my bat. And for me, the last two days have been a little bit better for Bo. Any news on Teoscar Hernandez? Yes, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, it sounds like, one, is still trending to be much better than what the original forecast was with that oblique issue. Uh, That's good news. He was out on the bases yesterday and running. I mean, full tilt, max effort. He was doing the velocity machine in the cages today. The Blue Jays did not take batting practice, so we didn't see him on the field. But Teoscar Hernandez is here, and he's continuing his hitting program and likely going to do the same through the rest of the Houston series. And then when the Blue Jays host the New York Yankees, it sounds like people that I talk with within the organization would like to see him get a couple of games with AAA Buffalo on a rehab assignment. And then if everything goes according to plan, perhaps join the Blue Jays in Cleveland. Ben, uh, do you think small sample size here, obviously, uh, beginning of the season, with Matt Chapman, do you think the organization, the hitting coach, is happy with progression of how he looks at the plate? Yes, I am. And I've asked a couple of people about that. They feel confident where Matt Chapman is, and it's the quality of the at-bat. So he's still, it's not all swing and miss, and he's not turning, you know, every at-bat into a breezy fan here at Rogers Center. That's not the case. They like the fact that he's at the plate, he's seeing a number of pitches, and his, his overall presence isn't like it's pressing. You know, if, if Matt Chapman had a problem with the at-bats, I think the Blue Jays coaches would have way more of a problem with the at-bats, and they're not seeing that. So I'm not sounding any alarms when it comes with Matt Chapman at the plate right now. And, and that comes from talking with a couple of coaches on the field over the last couple of days, and I had a nice conversation with, with Chappie earlier this morning too. Uh, if you look at the Jays' numbers with runners in scoring position, they have the third-worst batting average in the majors right now, uh, just – ahead of Baltimore and Arizona, just behind Pittsburgh, which is a scary thought. But as my friend Mr. Barker points out, I I like to say that, well, no Teoscar Hernandez contributes, but as my friend Mr. Barker points out, you can probably lay the quote-unquote blame for that at the feet of a couple of players. Bo is 3-for-17 with runners in scoring position. Chapman is 4-for-18 with runners in scoring position. As Kevin has pointed out, a lot of times Santiago Espinal or whoever's in the bottom of the order, they've been doing a nice job of getting on base. Same for George Springer. Bo has come up in a number of RBI positions, and, and, and so far at least, uh, Grand Slam excluded, has failed to deliver. Is there any, has there been any talk about, uh, we always talk about approaches, but has there been any discussion about what is contributing to this, this, this inability to hit with runners in scoring position? And I know with weighted runs created plus, I understand the Jays' offense Generally, the Jays' offense is above league average in a lot of categories, but this really sticks out, I think, for a lot of reasons. Well, it jumps off the page at you, right, because it's it's so glaring, just the distinction of the number versus how they usually perform, where you expected them to perform, or the other numbers that just clash against that with, with those players specifically. And the Blue Jays have a lot of traffic on the bases, and guess what? In the middle part of the game, late part of the game, those guys that are in the bottom third of the order getting on give Springer, Bichette, and whoever is in the cleanup spot or batting third, uh, more of an opportunity to drive in runs. Uh, And they've come up with bases loaded situations, so that has definitely swung the number overall. And there is a lot of concern. But 
I ask individual players, and they say, well, we're not really there yet. And there mm. yet is we're missing a couple of weeks' worth of at-bats and trying to catch up. And a guy put it to me last week, like, well, I'm only at 40 at-bats. You know, I'm still trying to get my feet under me. And he goes, talk to me in 20, 30 more at-bats. So now we're getting into that pocket of play where by the time next week rolls around and the New York Yankees are in town, now guys will have 70, 80, and some guys are going to be nearing that magic number of 100 at-bats, right, by that time if you're an everyday player. That, to me, will be a better indicator of where this thing is going if there needs to be an adjustment for the Blue Jays or if this is like, okay, this is definitely the ball club that we expect to get back here. These are the results we expect because these guys now have reached this comfort level with where they are in the batter's box. So it's been downplayed. You, you know, I, I don't know if that's right, uh, but you would certainly love to see a little bit better production, especially with the number of tight ball games that the Blue Jays play a hit here or there would make a massive difference, and that has ripple effects to lessen the workload of a bullpen. Ben, i got to be honest with you. Uh, Petey and Charlie Montoya have done an excellent job of going to the right guy out of the bullpen in the right situation, but i got to be honest with you. Yesterday in a 1-1 game, bringing in Trent Thornton to face 3-4-5, I scratched my head a little bit. As quickly as they, as they got Trevor Richards up, whenever Trent Thornton started giving it up a little bit, did, did Were you a little shocked? I don't want to say shocked. Shock's a strong word this early in the season. But were you perplexed a little bit that, you know, maybe they re- had reversed that? Maybe you bring Trevor Richards in to face 3-4-5, and if you want to bring Trent Thornton in, or you have to, because who's not available, you can bring him into the bottom of the order. Well, I thought, I thought Richards was going to be first. I thought, one, Strip was only going to go four, but, you know, he had that really, he had that really nice fourth inning. And the way that he was rolling, he was throwing the ball really, really well. And he got through a one, two, three, fifth. Then I thought, all right, here comes the meat of the order. This is definitely a Trevor Richards lineup. And I know the Blue Jays are so happy with the way Trent Thornton has made an adjustment on the mound. He's added a pitch. He's tweaked a pitch. He's got the slider. They're really, really happy about that. I thought that maybe a one-run game in that situation belongs to somebody that wouldn't be so susceptible to a Bogarts, a Devers, a J.D. Martinez running there. And guess what? Those are the guys that rat-a-tat-tat all of a sudden start the rally. <laughs> you know, the th- we talked about this last night in Blue Jays talk, and the one thing that, I mean, I had the same thought, especially when Trevor Richards got up right away. I thought, okay, it's almost as if Charlie and Peter are second-guessing themselves here. But, look, at some point, there will be the rosters are going to have to be cut down and you're right Trent Thornton's made a, a lot of improvements he's added you know he's he's got that slider now um they they are happy with him he seems to be a very diligent worker he seems to be a guy that has taken to the pitching lab all that good stuff but you know I got to find out what he can do in a game and I I, I kind of thought that that was a show me moment Okay, you've, you've a made a lot of, of progress. You know, you've made a lot of progress. Let's see what you can do against the big boys. Well, uh, guess what? It didn't work out. And I don't, I don't mind that at this stage of the year. No, I, I'm okay with that. I mean, listen, there are going to be still some trial by fire in this, in this whole sequence, right? Because rosters are going to get trimmed down. There's nobody really pushing either at AAA to jump mm-hmm. into this thing. And that's why you saw a little bit of an open showcase for the Blue Jays last night. You know, Bowden Francis isn't a long-term option right now for the Blue Jays to jump in here. 
what do you get from Andrew Vasquez, a guy that on the peripheries they like with that slider? Can he continue to improve? That was a little bit of a show-me moment as well. And then Trent Thornton. That that might have been the line of thinking for the Blue Jays, knowing that the bullpen would have been a little short yesterday. Even though Trevor Richards was you know going to be part of that, Today, today it seemed like they were looking a little bit further down the road, and mm-hmm. that was the showcase for the Blue Jays yesterday. And, and for for Trent Thornton, he's going to have to do it. You know, Julian Merriweather, eventually you're going to have to find out. And, yep. and Merriweather, again, has been inconsistent with his pitch execution. The stuff they love. They love the stuff, but he hasn't been able to execute the pitches. So there is a little bit of that category, too. And, um, you know, you have to you have to get pushed into the fire a little bit more. Last question for us before we let you go. The Red Sox aren't hitting home runs. Um, Offense is down in baseball. We know that this is always the case whenever something happens. Everybody's starting to look at the ball. And, you know, we're probably just a couple of days away from people unraveling balls the way they did when there was concern about the, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, there was concern about the core of the ball. I, I can actually remember covering a game at Wrigley Field and uh, it was the Houston Astros are playing the Cubs, and I can remember Jeff Bagwell had a ball in the dugout before the game and was talking to reporters, and he took a knife, and he cut it open, and he was unraveling it, and he was trying to convince us that the core was somehow bigger than core from last year's ball. So baseball players have a lot of time. They tend to look at this. But both Barker and I have noticed, and I think you may have alluded to this in the broadcast, there have been a couple of balls hit in the air at the Rogers Center that I've thought have been out, and the hitters have thought have been out, and the outfielders have thought have been out, and they just died. And I'm thinking of one in particular. Bo Bichette hit a, hit a ball, and Alec Verdugo had another one. Alec Verdugo went back to the dugout, and you can see him just shaking his head. He's basically saying, what do I do? You heard Zach people talk. Have guys Zach been talking Collins about last this? Night too. Zach Collins, yeah. exactly. Have guys yeah, noticed I, this? Absolutely. It's, it's a murmur in the clubhouse right now among the hitters. Pitchers are elated. They're so happy right now. <laughs> They're so the way happy it is. right now on this. Yeah, they don't want anything to change in the game right now. Matt Bushman and Pete Walker are pretty happy people right now walking around the clubhouse. Uh, for the pitchers, though, and they understand, though, that this is a thing. And for the Blue Jays that have put swings on balls like that, and this series probably is the best snapshot that we've had for the, for the Blue Jays so far, right, with balls and swings and contact that you have – expected balls to go out and and listen i i admit this i raised my hand right here in the broadcast booth i saw i thought zach collins last night got that ball so the did sound I. the impact the swing zach collins this morning said i thought i got that ball and then all of a sudden jackie bradley jr is doing the devo deke out there in front of the wall <laughs> <laughs> you know like to pulling up in front of the wall like oh that ball is going to be gone and then all of a sudden he opens the glove and it lands right in there jackie bradley jr get got me last night too so this, this is definitely a thing. It's being watched, and while we're looking at it from afar, now the Blue Jays and the players on the field are talking more and more about it, and you're starting to see that some of that frustration come with the baseball. And just, you know, swings aren't the same, right? The ball mm. isn't traveling the way, so guys are going to have to make an adjustment. Ben, we're going to let you run and rest the pipes. Thanks so much for this, as well, always. I, I have one more nugget of goodness for you. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. When we're, Drop when a we're nugget. Talking, when we're talking about Teoscar Hernandez and also this outfield alignment, one guy that was brought in very late in camp on the return track here, 
is Dexter Fowler. Remember, he had the ACL mm-hmm. injury. He's been in Florida. He's going to AAA today, and he'll be in the lineup tonight leading off for AAA Buffalo. There you hmm. go. Another option for the Blue Jays. Thanks for this, Ben. Thanks, Ben. You got it, guys. See ya. Ben Wagner, the radio voice of the Jays. He'll have the call in just a few minutes. Kevin, we've only got three minutes left, but I know that the Jays, the Jays do a lot of tracking of what happens during batting practice. And I know, well, you tell the story. They've noticed a difference in BP balls and game balls, haven't they? I have. I've been told that the the same exit velocities and launch angles that they have in BP uh, that they have in the games this year aren't going out. So the balls that they hit in batting practice with the same exit velocity and the same launch angle go second deck, third deck. When they hit those same exact balls in the game, the ball goes to the warning track. So they are noticing a big difference. And most of those BP balls are balls from last year. So, you know, it's sort of that leftover kind of thing where mm-hmm. you the batting practice balls are the year later. So next year's batting practice balls will be these balls. So they'll sort of just sort of that's a sort of a, a trickle effect, right? And it is very frustrating. I know if I were feeling a ball that I hit in batting practice and I have the same feeling on a ball in a game and – the difference is the ball just don't go as far. I'm going to be ticked off. I'm going to be mad about that because I don't want to make changes. I ha- I've had to make enough changes with all the shifts and the velocities and the breaking balls and the elevated heaters. i got to make enough. I don't want to make any more so I can feel their pain. I would understand why they'd be ticked off. Yeah, nobody likes to hit a bowling ball. I think that's probably the best way to yep. put it. That's it for Blair and Barker. 307 is the first pitch. Alec Manoa against Garrett Whitlock should be a good one. If you go into the game, enjoy yourself. After the game, Kevin and myself will be doing Blue Jays Talk on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Give us a call. Give us a tweet. Give us a text. We love your feedback. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy the ball game.